Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Architecture Show podcast. My name is Chris, and I am going to be your host. If this is your first time joining me. Welcome to the pod. Um, how is everybody doing today? I am speaking to nobody, so if you are listening, I'm asking you. I'm doing well, in case you were wondering, and you probably weren't, but that's okay. So, I know some people have had their first crits already. Um, I know some of the first years did. So if you did, I hope it went well. You know, I know it's very stressful. The first crit is always the worst crit because it's it's challenging. It's scary. It's something that you haven't tried before. Uh, But don't worry, it gets better. Today, uh, what I have for you guys is I'm going to be going over some weird, surprising architecture facts. That you've probably never heard. Um, I think this is a very interesting article. So it's an article that I found on arcdaily.com. They have amazing articles pertaining to pretty much all points of architecture. They even have classes you could take that'll help better your skills and like the software that we, we all use. So, you know, if you get a chance, check out their articles, check out their page. It's very helpful. Again, arcdaily.com. A-R-C-H... Uh, D-A-I-L-Y dot com. Um, so again, this is just some weird, surprising architecture facts that you've probably never heard. going to just go right into it. So number one on this list is architecture was once an Olympic sport. So that's something I never knew. That's the, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Um, I mean, I read this article before, but now I'm just informing the rest of you. So during the first four decades of the modern Olympic Games... 151 medals were awarded for music, painting, sculpture, literature, and architecture. I'm probably going to butcher this name, but Baron Pierre de Coubertin, who revived the modern games and founded the International Olympic Committee, considered art an essential part of the competition. Uh, And then it says the one caveat, every submission had to be sports-related. So that's pretty interesting. I did not know... I mean, I did not know architecture was an Olympic sport, so I, I, it makes you wonder, right? Because it's like, what can you possibly bring to an Olympic sport in front of a stadium full of people? What do you bring, like your physical models? You know what I mean? You bring your computer and show how quick you can make something in Rhino? I don't know. It's interesting, though. Uh, number two, Frank Lloyd Wright's son invented Lincoln Logs. So, Lincoln Logs were the brainchild of John Lloyd Wright, son of the legendary architect, Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, And then it says, an architect in his own right, John, was inspired by the interlocking beams of the foundation below Lloyd Wright Sr.'s Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. So, there you go. Fun little fact for you guys. Frank Frank Lloyd Wright's son invented Lincoln, Lincoln Logs. Moving on, um, number three on this list. Again, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but uh, Guri Tiles, Guri, I don't know, G-I-R-I-H, Tiles, used by Islamic architects for hundreds of years, are mathematically similar to Penrose Tiling discovered in the 1970s. So Penrose Tiling was named after mathematician and physicist i'm sorry if you can hear my cat she is in the background 
uh, mathematician and physicist Sir Roger Penrose, who experimented with a set of five differently shaped tiles in the 1970s to create patterns with special geometric properties. Islamic architects created Guri tiles, G-I-R-I-H, over five centuries ago, but it wasn't until 2007 that physicists Peter J. L. Peter J. Liu, sorry, and Paul J. Steinhardt demonstrated that they share many mathematical properties, many mathematical properties, God, I can't read, uh, with Penrose tiling. So there you go. Pretty interesting. I'm not a math guy. I'm going to be honest here. So I lost my math skills, my math skills back in high school. Um, one of those things where I just remembered and dumped it on a piece of paper and then I forgot about it. And now I am in a class called statics and I don't know what's going on in that class because I'm not good at math and it's all math. So there's that. Moving to number four on the list, Lego used to make special bricks for architects. So when Godfred Kirk Christensen, son of the Lego founder, tried to make a Lego model of the house he was building, it didn't come out to scale because Lego bricks have a five, by five to six width to height ratio. This led to the creation of module X, a much smaller brick that was based on perfect cubes in 1963. Unfortunately, the bricks were discontinued in the 1970s. Well, that's pretty interesting. I love Legos. I think Legos is the best gift you can gift an architect or an architecture student. I recently found out that there is actually a Lego store right by my school. So I'm going to make my way up there at some point, just haven't got a chance to go. But if anybody out there is listening and want to get me a gift, uh, Legos. Legos are the best gift. Or even if it's not for me. If it's for a loved one that is an architecture student or whatever. Lego's definitely, definitely one of the best gifts. Uh, one of the best gifts you can give us. Number five, uh, Maya Lin is the niece of one of the most famous female architects in modern Chinese history. I don't know who Maya Lin is. Sounds like she's supposed to be famous. Anyway, Lin Huiyin. God, I'm really bad with pronunciations. Is considered the first female architect in modern China. Congrats to her. That's amazing. Alongside her husband, Liang Si Chang, she helped launch the architecture department at Northeastern University in Shenyang. Maya Lin, who designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., is Hoi Yin's niece. You know what? Congratulations to her. First female architect in modern China. That's amazing. We need more females in our business. It's usually predominantly male, although I have been seeing a lot of females in studio so shout out to y'all we need more so thank you for being a part of this journey and shout out to lin hui in moving on to number six on this list the cooper union foundation building in new york city including included an elevator shaft even though modern elevators hadn't been invented yet alicia otis first demonstrated his safety elevator in 1852 in London and installed the first successful passenger elevator in the five-story oh my god I'm so bad with like pronunciations um, in the five-story EV Hogwarts 
building in 1857. So it's spelled H-A-U-G-H-W-O-U-T. Good luck pronouncing that one. It's probably simple and I'm just, I don't know, over-exaggerating. It says, however, neither of these developments included a modern shaft. They were left open in case of failure. Putting his faith in elevator technology, in 1859, Peter Cooper had a syn- syn- whoa, cylindrical cylindrical shaft including included in the Cooper Union Foundation building with a custom-made elevator later, later added by Otis. I'm sorry, guys. It's late when I'm recording this, so I can't really read right now. But that's pretty interesting, you know? Very early on, they had this idea for the elevator, even though modern elevators hadn't been invented yet. It's pretty cool. Number seven on this list, a French postman spent 33 years building the quote-unquote ideal palace with stones he collected during his daily round. So French postman Ferdinand Chevel spent 33 years picking up stones while delivering mail. Not just any stones, mind you. A special type of hardened sandstone molded by time and water into wondrous shapes. With these stones, he built the fantastical Les Palais Ideal, Les Palais Ideal in Hauteveres. Oh my god, I gotta get better with my pronunciations. Hauter, Haut, I don't know, H-A-U-T-E-R-I-V-E-S. The building is considered a prime example of naive art, and in 1969, was designated a cultural landmark. So it's pretty cool. They have a picture of it over here too. It looks like it looks like a castle, pretty much. And it has a bunch of little not animals, but a little figurines on it. Kind of looks like a sand castle because it's like the color of sand. Yeah, no, it looks pretty cool. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, moving on, number eight. Oh, this is an exciting one for me. The Sims was originally designed as an architecture simulator. So for those who don't know, uh, The Sims is my favorite game in this entire planet. I think The Sims series is the best series in the world. It's the best game. It's better than NBA 2K, better than any Madden game, better than Call of Duty. It doesn't matter. You can't argue argue with me about this. My opinion will not change. Sims is the best game in the world. Anyway, The Sims, which debuted in 2000, which I did play, is one of the most popular video games around. But before it became a life simulator, the original concept had the game working more like SimCity. Players would design a house and autonomous autonomous characters would test the design's success. Uh, yeah, you know, Sims is pretty cool, pretty similar to the original concept. Um, you know, you create your person or your family, you create your house, and you live your life. Literally, you live your life. You go to school. I think they just came out with a new game pack where you can go to high school now. And then they have another game pack where you can go to college. They have another game pack where you can actually work in the job that you're at. I think you could be like a scientist or I don't know the other ones. I, I forget. But yeah, you can actually play as them. And the reason that's so exciting is because like the earlier games like Sims 1 and 2, you just send them off to work. And there's also like um jobs that you do where you just kind of send them off and then the hours pass, and then you play as them when you come back. So that's pretty interesting. Moving on, number nine. The Empire State Building generates more revenue from its observation decks 
than from its 85 floors of office space. Wow. That's pretty insane. The Empire State Building might be the most famous office landlord in the world, but it's the views from the 102-story skyscraper that's the real moneymaker. In 2013, the building's owner, Empire State Realty Trust, became a publicly, uh, publicly traded company, meaning that their quarterly and yearly earnings reports are a matter of public record. In 2014, where the building's two observation decks generated $111 million, 40% of total revenue, its office space leases netted just $104 million, 37% of total revenue. Now, that is interesting to me. I mean, that's pretty insane to think about. A combined 85 floors of office space makes less money than the observation deck on the top of the building. So, it's a little fun fact for you. I've never been to the top of the Empire State Building, so if you have, send me a picture because I would love to see what it looks like from up there. I assume they have 360 views, but again, I, I would have absolutely no idea because I have never been. Did go to the Statue of Liberty, which was pretty cool, but... Anyway, moving on to number 10, the city of Cincinnati, Ohio, has an abandoned subway system, which was never used. That's pretty cool. Hidden beneath the streets of Cincinnati is the largest abandoned tangle of tunnels and stations in the United States. Proposed in the 1910s as an upgrade of the city's streetcar system, the project was interrupted by World War I. World War One and later abandoned because of inflation and political infighting. Now, I had no idea this even existed. So, that's pretty damn cool. Can you imagine New York City has something like that? Who knows? We might. Um, I know we have something in the 6th train where you can go when it stops at the Brooklyn Bridge, which is the last stop on the 6th train. It comes back around and you can go through the old station or an abandoned station. I don't know what the actual station is called. I would have to look that up. But that's something that's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm sure New York City has places like that as well. Because, I mean, come on. It's New York City. But, yeah. No, that's cool. I wonder what it looks like nowadays. I wonder if there's people that sleep down there. If there's even lights. I don't know. It might be, like, super, super dark and a little scary. But, yeah. What number are we on now? I think 11. Uh, number 11. The supervisor of the Ouija board company fell to his death from the roof of a factory that the board told him to build. Wow. This is why you don't let any bad voodoo, any bad vibes, or just bad energy, you don't, you don't allow that into your life. You know what I'm saying? While many designs for Ouija-style boards emerged in the 19th century, the most popular design and the name was patent, patent, pat, pat, whoa, patented by Kennard Novelty Company. I'm sorry, guys. It's late right now. I, I can't speak. I don't know what's going on. Um, the company's supervisor, William Fold, made his fortune selling the boards and opened up a number of new factories. In 1927, one of these factories, which Fold claimed the board told him to build, was the scene of the business magnate's death when he fell from its roof. You see, some people don't believe in the Ouija board. Some people do. Some people don't believe in ghosts, spirits. And at the end of the day, you can believe what you want, but that, that's pretty wild. I mean, I am one of, I am a believer in those things like, like ghosts and spiritual 
beings, you know, so maybe I'm a little biased towards that being interesting and, and cool, but yeah, I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Are Ouija boards even like, people still even play with them anymore? I don't know. I had a friend also who, like, they played with the Ouija board in their house, and it told them some weird things, or I wasn't there when it happened, but basically he was telling me that he did the Ouija board, like, in his basement, and I think he, like, he, like, invited the spirit into his house, which is, like, insane to me, and, you know, I was over his house, like, a bunch of times, because we were really close at some, at a point, and, you know, weird stuff would happen, like, like, um, he would have things that hang, but... It was the basement with no windows, so, like, there's no breeze, and things would just move, you know? Like, think about, um, think about anything, even, like, a plant, uh, at the time, I forget what what it was. It was, like, um, not bells, but I don't, I don't know what they're called, but you know those things that hang, that usually hang them outside, and, um, they, like, jingle, like, uh, oh my god, I can't think of the name, but... They would make noise. They make noise. When 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 it's windy, it makes noise. It clacks together. Whatever. It was something like that. And one time it, like, moved. And it was, like, super weird because there's no there was no wind. I mean, it's a basement. There's no windows in his basement. And it started to move. And I was like, okay. Freaky. And then another time, I was at his house. And it was the weirdest thing. Somebody took a a picture on their phone or something and we his xbox was on but like nobody was playing it it was just on like like on idle i guess you would call it and he took a picture or something he did something with his phone or he was looking at a text and what was on his phone appeared on the screen of the xbox or like on the screen like with the on the tv with the xbox on and we were with a there was a few of us and we were just like yo what the hell is going on because it was literally whatever was on his phone i think he took a picture of something. The picture appeared on the TV. And I don't know if you know this, but you can't, like, connect... I mean, you can connect your phone. Like, it wasn't, like, an Apple TV. It was a regular, like, Samsung... Like, whatever TV brand it was. It definitely wasn't an Apple TV where you can, like, screen share or, you know, project your phone onto the thing. And, yeah, it was just very weird because it appeared for, like, two seconds and then it just disappeared. And everybody in the room was just like, oh my, like, what is going on? This is so crazy. So yeah, that, um, that is pretty interesting. Number 12, I think this is the last one too. Number 12, let me see. Yeah, that's the last one. Damn, I feel like I went through it so quick. Every time I have a list, I go through it like, like it's like within like 20 minutes, I feel like. Maybe less, I don't know. Anyways, number 12, um, more time passed between the start and end of construction on the Great Wall of China than between the start of Christianity and today. Now, that is one of the most wild things I've ever heard. I heard it takes very long to walk the Great Wall of China. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. How long will it take to walk the Great Wall of China? So it takes around, wow did not know this it takes around 18 months to walk the great wall of china so let me say that again the no sorry more time passed between the start and end of construction on the great wall of china than between the start of christianity and today that means it took longer to build the great wall of china 
than when Christianity started to today. So Christianity started the year one till today, 2022. It took longer to build the Great Wall of China. That's wild. Also, it takes 18 months to walk the Great Wall of China, which that's pretty damn wild. I didn't know it was that long. I thought it was just something that you could just walk. Again, another place I've never been. We'll love to go. But anyway, I'm going to read the little thing that it has under it. Um, the idea of a single unified wall to protect China from invaders began when Qin Shi Hung, the first emperor of China, connected various fortifications built between the 8th and 3rd centuries. Construction continued through 1878, meaning, including the original fortifications, the wall was under construction for over 2,600 years. That is wild, bro. Now, let me see this. How, when did the construction of the Great Wall of China begin? I think it's around the time of the, em the first emperor of China because it says 221 to 206 BC. So, okay. It says the Great Wall of China's history began in the spring and autumn period. Then it says 770 to 476 BC. Uh, was first completed in the Qin Dynasty, 221 to 206 BC, and was last rebuilt as a defense Ming in the Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644. And then it also says on here that it was under construction for 2,600 years. So, yeah, no, uh, that's pretty wild. That's pretty damn wild to think about. 2,600 years still under construction. I couldn't imagine that. And imagine being the architect to build that wall. Um, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, I couldn't imagine building one structure that's that long for that amount of time. Anyways, that was, I guess, 12 surprising, fun, weird architecture facts that you probably never heard of. If you want to read the whole article, it's on arcdaily.com. I will supply a uh, link in the description uh, when this episode is released. So... If you wanted to read it and if even if you wanted to go on arcdaily.com to look at their projects to look at um, some things some architecture news it's a great source and you should definitely look into it so shout out to arc daily i doubt they're listening but if they are would be cool so i think we're going to end the podcast there i'm hoping to have more guests on so if you are a student or professor or you know somebody who would be a great guest to have on here Please, please, please reach out to me. Again, I've had my guest on um, a few episodes ago. That was uh, Brianna Callender, great friend of mine. And we had a good conversation. So shout out to her if she is listening. And if you want to come on the podcast, please don't be afraid to reach out to me because I really, really want more students on to kind of get a student's perspective on things. Obviously, I also want professionals on to get more of a professional side of things you know maybe post post architecture school like like in the work field and then i hope to get some professors on the pod even if it's a professor that you want me to interview that maybe isn't at nyit or maybe they were in the past and they are no longer with us even if you go to another school and there's an interesting professor i have no problem reaching out i have a few connections at a few different schools in new york city so if you go to City College or New York uh, New York City College Technology or literally any school, 
um, please, please reach out to me or maybe I'll come reach out to you because I do want to set up a time and interview you. So if you like what you hear or if there's a topic you want to hear me talk about, if you want to be, a, again, if you want to be a guest, if there's a professor or designer you would like for me to interview, please find me on Instagram at shagan.arc. That's S-H-A-G-A-N dot A-R-C-H. And tune in every Monday for a brand new episode. You listen all the way through. Thank you. And have a great day.